Well, greetings and welcome to everybody. Once again, this is George Miley, and we are continuing through a series of teachings under the overall subject, Maturing Toward Wholeness in the Inner Life. What does that look like? What does the inner life itself look like? Well, Jesus is informing us about that, and we're seeking to understand and gain insight into what he has taught us in order that we might apply it to our own lives. And in this session, we come to the 14th teaching or the 14th chapter, and the title of the chapter is With All Your Soul. So we are now exploring the five components of the human person that Jesus indicated when responding to the question that was put to him, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus answered by saying, well, the greatest commandment is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, that's one, with all your soul, that's another one, with all your mind, that's a third component of the human person, with all your strength. Well, where is our strength? Well, our strength, our physical strength, is resident in our bodies. And then Jesus said, and the second Greatest commandment is like this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So loving our neighbor indicates, reveals to us that we are social beings created in the image of a social relational God. So God exists in a community of three persons. We are created for community. And so in this session, we want to see if we can't say one or two things that are helpful about the human soul. Jesus said we're to love the Lord our God with all of our soul. Might be helpful to see if we can't gain some understanding into the soul. Our subtitle to this chapter comes from the very well known Psalm 23, perhaps the most familiar and loved of all the Psalms. Psalm 23 The Lord is my shepherd, he restores my soul. So, right there, we learn something about the soul. What do we learn? Well, we learn that the soul needs to be restored. And we learn that the key for our soul to be restored is the Lord acting as our shepherd. So I have to allow that. I have to choose that. As I choose to allow Jesus to be my shepherd, one of the consequences, one of the results of that is that my soul is restored. In considering the five components of the human person, Jesus referred to in Mark 12, 29-31, we now come to the soul. It too must be reformed. So each component of our person has been damaged by sin, severely damaged. The process of living with Jesus as his disciple results in the different components of our lives being restored. We mentioned in our last chapter about the influence that Dallas Willard's book, Renovation of the Heart, has exercised on me in considering these five components. And I want to share with you the definition that Willard gives in Renovation of the Heart of the soul. I just find this definition absolutely fascinating and extremely insightful. Willard says, 
What is running your life at any moment is your soul. Well, that's kind of interesting. Never thought about that before. I'd like to know more about that. So Willard continues, not external circumstances or your thoughts or your intentions or even your feelings, but your soul. The soul is that aspect of your whole being. And here's what it does. That correlates, integrates, and enlivens everything going on in the various dimensions of the self. Willard is telling us three things that the soul does. It correlates, it integrates, and it enlivens everything else that's going on in the other components. Willard continues, it is the life center of the human being. It regulates whatever is occurring in each of those other dimensions and how they interact with each other and respond to surrounding events in the overall governance of your life. The soul is deep in the sense of being basic or foundational and also in the sense that it lies almost totally beyond conscious awareness. End of quote. You know, as I think about that definition, it makes me think of the soul as kind of a computer program running in the background. You know, we, we in modern life, continue to find ourselves in situations where all of a sudden we are aware that there's a computer program in the background that is running things, correlating things, integrating things, making things work. We're not aware of the program. We don't see the program, but it's there. Maybe our soul is a little bit like that. What's going on in our hearts, our choices, what's going on in our thoughts and emotions, what's going on in our body and our relationships, all that is somehow coming together and being correlated and being stored and the effects of it are housed in the soul. Jesus teaches me to love God with all my soul. If my soul lies almost beyond awareness, then how do I gain insight into it? How, how can I learn about it if it's almost totally beyond awareness? Well, a good place to begin is what does the Bible say about the human soul? And actually, we find that the information in the scriptures about the soul is rich. And in the notes, I don't know how many of you have the notes available to you. I hope you all do. But if you don't, let me just read through this list of 25 characteristics of the soul that are found in the scriptures. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. This is just a sampling of the very rich information that's available to us in the scriptures about the human soul. So here we go. The soul worships. If you have the notes, you'll see that after each one of these, we've mentioned a biblical reference there. doesn't mean it's only in this reference that we have this information about the soul, but we've listed 25 characteristics and given a biblical reference for each. So the soul worships, and the reference that we've given here is Luke 1.46. This, of course, is from Mary's song, the song that Mary sang after the angel appeared to her. My soul magnifies the Lord. So worship is in the end an activity of the soul. Two, the soul longs for God. The soul can be troubled. The soul can be distraught. The soul can be cast down. 
The soul can be quieted. The soul can be consoled. The soul can desire evil. The soul can desire good. The soul can be sorrowful. The soul can find rest. The soul can be strengthened. The soul can be kept blameless. The soul is saved from wickedness by God's word. The soul is revived through God's law. The soul is preserved by relying on God. The soul finds an anchor in God and his promises. The soul needs to be guarded. The soul waits for God. The soul can be humbled. The soul can be embittered. The soul has the capacity to bless. The soul gives me counsel. The soul can be deceived. The soul is the source of obedience. So again, 25 characteristics of the soul. We learn from the scriptures. There are more. And then I think a a wonderful summary for all of that. The scriptures tell us that God has a soul. Psalm 11, verse 5. So once again, as we move through these components of the human person, we see how often they are reflected in the person of God. And that doesn't surprise us because the scriptures tell us we are created in God's image. So just as we have a soul, the scriptures tell us God has a soul. If my soul is almost beyond awareness, then how can I personally connect with it? Is it just something, well, you know, Jesus said I had one. I have no awareness of it, but I guess if Jesus said, I have one, I have one. I don't know how that helps me to know that. Is it possible for me to personally connect with my soul, become aware of my soul? How do I do that? One way is the practice of solitude. In solitude, I discover, I come to the awareness that I actually have a soul. If my soul is almost beyond awareness, A major way of gaining insight into it is through intuition. Now, here again, we're into this whole area of the intuitive mind. I intuit, I grow in my capacity to intuit what's going on in my soul. But an important thing that we have to say about intuition, I am always careful to test my intuition by the Bible. So God gave us, we're going to be talking about this Uh, in the next chapter. God gave us an intuitive mind. God created that. It has great value for us, but it also has the potential to lead us astray, even into darkness. So whatever it is that I think I'm intuiting about my soul, I continue to bring this to the scripture, bring this to Jesus for confirmation or correction. To cultivate spiritual reformation I must understand my soul and care for it. It is important to know the needs of my soul and to respond to them. Let me share with you six things that our soul needs. Number one, my soul needs creativity. It needs creativity that I produce, and it needs the creativity that comes from other people. 
my creator created me creative. So every human being, particularly as we're healed, is gloriously and wonderfully creative. We create in different ways. But a foundational characteristic of the human being is that we are creative. My soul needs creativity. The damaged soul is offered comfort and also healing in the presence of ennobling art found in music, painting, writing, architecture, and other forms. So to be in the presence of ennobling art, we look at a picture, we hear a music. You know, one of the practices that Hannah and I have during Advent, the season before Christmas each year, is to go to a performance of the musical The Messiah. And we have the fortunate opportunity to experience the Messiah performed with a full orchestra and a full choir and the soloist. And it is just a magnificent enrichment of soul to listen to that. And we listen to it year after year. We've never gotten tired of it yet. And last year we went with a group of friends and we could just tell that at the end of the performance, we all had been so enriched, our souls had been so enriched by being in the presence of great art. Perhaps the greatest art we can encounter is nature. Nature is the artwork of the supreme creator. So it's widely understood that simply being in nature, allowing ourselves to become present to nature, is in itself ennobling and healing. Number two, my soul needs silence. God is active. God has spoken. God continues to speak. But God is also a God of silence. Psalm 62, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. Silence offers the soul the option to withdraw from distractions which do not heal and can wound further. And after withdrawing from distractions, to soak in God's presence. Number three, my soul needs rootedness. Being rooted in a circle of committed relationships is essential to my well-being. I am incomplete without others. Have we come to the point of acknowledging that? I'm not self-sufficient. I need God and I need other people. And I'll never get beyond that. I'm created that way. I need other people. God designed this need to be met firstly in family and then in church. But just as I have been damaged by sin, so have others been damaged by sin in my family and my church. How, on the one hand, sad that the two groups of intimate relationships that God designed to meet this fundamental need of our souls, family and church, how many folks have been severely wounded in family and church? And actually, that shouldn't surprise us. Why? Because members of our family have been damaged by sin the same way we have. Members of our church have been damaged by sin the same as we have. And the thing that's really tragic is 
if I have been hurt in family and if I have been hurt in church, I in turn lash out in anger, in self-pity, and end up hurting others. But I also will, of course, hurt myself. As I mature toward wholeness, Jesus equips me to be an agent of healing. I learn not to demand that others meet my needs. I focus on meeting their needs. Place also plays an important role in rootedness. The soul needs place. Where we were born, the region our family comes from, it's all a foundational part of our identity. You know, in my own experience, there have been many years in my ministry traveling, continually traveling. And the more I have been in constant travel, the more I've become aware of the longing of my soul for rootedness and home. And I find I have to have home. I can travel out from home and come back to home, but my soul can't endure for a long time just constantly going from one place to another without the opportunity to come back home. So the role that place has in the health of the soul. Number four, my soul needs meaning. When life lacks meaning, only boredom and willpower remain. The soul cannot endure meaninglessness very long. When the soul does not experience meaning, the soul becomes empty. An empty soul is the fruit of living apart from God. Only in and with God does the human person find meaning that endures. The empty soul seeks meaning in that which is superficial. Now, this is a great tragedy. What happens? The soul is separated from God. The soul is separated from true, enduring, lasting meaning. So the soul looks for meaning in whatever it can figure out, whatever it can try, and it looks in superficial ways. And superficiality can provide the feeling of meaning temporarily. But the temporary experience of meaning doesn't last. What is superficial cannot meet a need that is deep. The empty soul may look for meaning in what is evil, but what is evil only damages the soul further. The needs of the human soul are fully and forever satisfied by being relationally reconciled with its creator through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Come, Holy Spirit. Minister to and fill our souls. Oh, Father, our soul has been damaged, wounded. It is needy. It is empty and lost without you. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming for us, bearing in your own person the consequence of our sin and showing us the way to a healed and restored soul. The Lord is my shepherd. 
He restores my soul. Thank you, Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.